Hi, you've reached the phone of Andrew Burns, CEO of Hello World. If you're a government minister who is in urgent need of a family holiday, press one. If you're Joe Hockey, what the fuck, mate? Where have you been? You still owe me one. Press two. If you're a journalist from the fake news media calling about alleged impropriety between Hello World and the Liberal Party, our official response is this. This is nothing like the time Dastyari's trips were paid for by a Chinese education group. He was Labor. We're Liberals. It's different. If you want further comment, leave a message we can ignore. Thank you. Bye. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra or Fair Dickum and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight on Irrational Fear, the AEC reports that a record number of young people are enrolled to vote, and politicians report that they have a record number of regrets about making young people have their say on same-sex marriage. And an LNP candidate, Jared Rennick, who accused the Bureau of Meteorology of fudging data to suit their climate agenda, will go on to accuse the AEC of fudging election results to suit the Australian people's no-ignorant simpletons agenda. And a report from Vic Forrest suggests that most log native forests end up in landfill, not furniture, which is at odds with a report from me that most native forests ends up in my toilet. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! This is the show that tells you what you should really be scared of. I'm your host, Dan Illich, and on the pod this week, we've got one of Twitter's best punsters. It's journalist and media trainer, Chris Urquhart. Chris, welcome to Irrational Fear. A while since I've been a journo, Dan, but I'm happy to take it. <laughs> That's okay. It's a while since a lot of journos have been journos, but they still call themselves journos. You are a media trainer. What advice would you give Barnaby Joyce this week? I tell him to pause, have a <laughs> deep breath, maybe take a glass of water, but just make sure that that uh, particular glass of water isn't owned by a Cayman Islands holding company. <laughs> Next is journalist, broadcaster and reluctant mummy blogger. It's a current affairs, Alison Petrowski. No to the mummy blogger. Absolutely not a mummy <laughs> what blogger. What if someone paid you in nappies? Would you do it? <laughs> Definitely not. But I did escape the house today without milk on me, without some sort of baby vomit on me, so I feel like that's a win for the mums out there. <laughs> You'd be a great mummy blogger, or at least a mummy podcaster. <laughs> that would be terrific. And always, uh, it's the one man who once caused Sean McAuliffe to say fuck you to him. It is part-time fashionista and full-time legend Lewis Hobber. Ah, oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I love you, Sean. <laughs> Regardless of what like you think about me. I we need some man. backstory there. <laughs> yeah, what happened there? Why, why did Why did Sean McAuliffe say fuck you? Well, to you? actually, it, it was a joke. So my radio co-host Veronica used to be on Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell as an actress, and uh, she ended up leaving his show to come and work full-time with me on Triple J. And so when we had Sean McAuliffe on our show once, we did this like fake sketch where we would pretend that Sean McAuliffe was off air really angry at me when Veronica went out the room but our video guys at Triple J filmed it so well that when we put it up everyone thought it was real <laughs> and all these news articles went up about like comedy legend Sean McAuliffe chews out some guy we don't know comedy nobody Lewis <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucas Lob whatever Lobber. Yeah. Um, and so yeah people still to this day think that Sean McAuliffe hates me 
And he still does. Yeah, oh, no, uh, I mean, call earlier. He said yes. <laughs> he yes, I, I still had you. Yes. First up on the election trail, we have two Donald Trumps in Australia. Let's talk about Donald Trump number one. It's Clive Palmer's United Australia. The latest news poll suggests that UAP holds between five and fourteen percent of the primary vote in marginal seats in Herbert in Queensland, uh, Deakin in Victoria, Lindsay in New South Wales, Pierce in WA, and. And it actually has more support than One Nation across the country, which is uh, very strange. Now, to do this, he has spent $30 million outspending both Liberal and Labor. Over the last three weeks alone, UAP is estimated to spend about $5.5 million, uh, and Liberals and Labor have spent about one5 each. Um, is this value for money, 14%? Is my question to you? It's value for money for the sales executives from Channel 7, Channel 9 who are driving Porsches <laughs> into the car park now thanks to the ads they've sold to Palmer United for it. The but, real um, winners of the nickel <laughs> of the nickel refinery uh, closing are the ad executives at commercial networks. Uh, how, what do you reckon, Ali? I just blame Twisted Sister for all of this. If they didn't come up with such a catchy tune to begin with... No, we wouldn't have... We wouldn't be in this situation. No, we absolutely wouldn't. This is really disturbing. legally that he can... Oh, are we at a place where he's legally all cleared to go? I, I'm ready to go. I thought he was bankrupt. Uh, what happened there? I thought so too, and I thought you weren't allowed to run if you were bankrupt. It's a lot of money to hide somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you got, it's very hard to say you're bankrupt when you're publicly spending $30 million on yourself. $30 million can't even get you 29 gigalitres of water. Uh, <laughs> it's really terrible, really terrible. Um, no, he owes $300 million to the workers of the nickel refinery, but I guess the way that business is constructed, it, he doesn't actually owe that money personally. Mm. It's a nephew or... It's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And mm, so, sounds like an occurrence of fest story. $30 million to, to take on uh, Australian politics to win a seat. How much money would you be willing to spend, Lewis Hobart, to buy a seat in Australian politics? Jeez, I don't know if I want that job. If someone paid me $30 million, I'd give it a red hot coffee. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I'm not spending any of my money to go into politics. I don't want to spend any time with those people. I don't want to spend time with them on the television. <laughs> I don't want to sit in a room with them. I don't want to have to have conversations with them. What is so baffling to me is that he is polling at 14%, which in some um, seats, particularly in Herbert, which uh, is only held by Labor by 0.002%, uh, that kind of primary vote can really hold the balance of power, could possibly even win that seat. Why are so many people who have been ripped off by this guy voting against their interests to vote him back in again? What it shows as well is that we've got pretty short memories. I mean, the last time that he was elected, had his party elected, had a number of senators elected, they all went... They all left, you know. They all went and started their own parties. Jackie Lambie, Glenn Lazarus got out of there. All of them. We've read this book before and yet we've, you know, got it out of the library again because it's such a page-turner. <laughs> D.O. But... Wang stuck around for a bit. Remember, it was like, they've all gone, and D.O. Wang was like, oh, I'm still here. And I feel like it kind of leads into Trump number two, Dan. Yeah, Trump number two, which is Pauline Hanson. She's the only person in Queensland who is actually polling worse than Trump number one. Uh, she's One Nation is polling, according to the news poll, at 4.5%. Why do you reckon One Nation is polling so badly in Queensland? Uh, I would say maybe the NRA, maybe <laughs> guns, may, probably not the burqa, actually, thinking about, you know, the certain areas in Queensland that, that are really behind her. But I would definitely think NRA and guns and just uh, what about the, the fact that the Port Arthur massacre didn't happen? I mean, there's three good reasons why she's polling so terribly, I would think. What do you reckon, Chris? I think all of the above, all of the above. It's just tricky times, but, you know, still a few weeks left. It is pretty pretty 
worrisome what's going on there and how many potential, you know, one nation senators could get elected as a result of the election. That's why when people, you fill in the metre and a half long Senate form, it's really important. You've got to do a lot of origami to get it back in the ballot box. But the numbers that you put on it really count because otherwise is what we end up with. Well, when they're looking at um, Clive Palmer saying, well, you know, it could be Clive Palmer who takes um, Malcolm Roberts' Senate seat. And you're like, Jesus, I don't. I didn't think I wanted Clive in, but it's if it's Clive or Malcolm, like maybe I do want Clive. That's right. You may. You may. You may as well take like, Clive. If we're yeah. dealing with this kind of bottom dwelling idiocy, then it, maybe I would like Clive. He is a much larger target to egg. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more surface area. Now, One Nation are running billboards throughout Queensland. Uh, I want you to fill in the blanks for me. What does the One Nation billboard say? I've got the blank to blank what you're blanking. Mm. I've got the blank to blank what you're blanking. I've got a couple of suggestions. I've got the money to pay for your legal fees. I've got a, I've got the batter to fry what you're fishing. Uh, well, I've got the burka to cover your erection. That was the ones I was thinking. I've got the conspiracy theories to deny what you're believing. <laughs> right, that's good. Or I've got the NRA connections to arm what you're firing. That's good. I've got the party to quit once you're elected. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the guts to say what you're thinking. Oh, fantastic, Lewis Hobber. Mm. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Which just brings me to the next question, Lewis Hobber. What is she thinking? Um... That she's swamped by Muslims? I don't know. Like, it's just like, I really got to say what you're thinking is just a very niche way to say, I'll have, I'm happy to be racist on your behalf. All right. Well, here is something. Here are some thoughts of Pauline Hanson. She was on the Today Show this morning having a wide-ranging conversation about all sorts of things, about polls, about Clive Palmer, about Queensland, and about another topic. Uh, I'm just going to play you some snippets of her interview from the Today Show, and I want you to tell me what what she's kind of thinking after each of these snippets. Deb, this has been a fact of life right from the time that Earth was here. What's she thinking there? That you should always stand on the left at the escalators. <laughs> I mean, that is just one rule that we've always known to be self-evident. <laughs> that no matter what you say, you'll still get asked back on the breakfast table. <laughs> <laughs> that the Earth is flat. She's a flat earther. That's what I'm going with. What about this one? There was once a flood throughout um, Australia here, water. It was all through central Australia. What is she talking about there? I honestly can't even understand what she says half the time. She just suddenly drops words in. She's like a beat poet. No, but if there's water... So- sorry, if there's water in central Australia, does Barnaby Joyce know about it? <laughs> <laughs> what about this one? So there's been a lot of changes that have happened. They haven't released the true facts of figures as far as temperature changes over the years. They haven't released the figures, and I, I can't agree with that. More. Until we see the figures, how will we know the answers? <laughs> this has been man-made. What has been man-made there? I don't know, but I think James Ashby was probably the man that made it. To be <laughs> Here is the answer to that. Here we go. This has been man-made. This fear-mongering about climate change. There you go. She thinks the the thing that's man-made about climate change is the fear-mongering itself, oh. not actual climate change. Make it stop. How many weeks have we got to go with this campaign? Oh, it's only three more weeks. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is this is my Christmas. A rational fear. Your fear is rational. Marginal, right? Now. Julia Gillard has a brand new best friend forever and a current affairs Alison Petrowski has a story 
no Ozpole nerd can afford to miss. This is my favourite yarn of the week for sure. Jay Gill, I'm going to call her because she's totally cool now. She's revealed to Vogue Australia in a sit-down interview about her relationship with uh, one Riri, that's Rihanna, for those of you that aren't down with the street talk. They have apparently had this friendship going for a couple of years. Were you guys aware of this? I had no yeah. idea. What? No, look, no, this, is, Lewis this, is actually, this has been around for a while, this story. So, well, she, she gave a sit-down about it, Lewis. Mm. She's talked in intimate detail oh, about it. Look, if you're on Riri's Rihanna. Insta, then you would have seen this a few years ago. At so, that girl Riri. <laughs> yeah. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, Lewis Hopper. So former PM is an honorary chairwoman of the GPE, the Global Partnership for Education. Riri has her own fund going, her own foundation, supporting disadvantaged um, kids in disadvantaged areas. So her and Jay Gill hung out in Soho one night, had an intimate dinner, I understand. Um, I don't know if it was candlelit, but it sounds you know, very romantic. They got to know each other, thought they were cool, um, and they headed over to Malawi to visit some disadvantaged schools and visited a, a lot of kids, and they really bonded. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but I just thought, wow, Jay Gill is a lot cooler than what I gave her credit for. And it got me thinking, what would ScoMo and Bill Shorten, or maybe B Short, because we're rolling with some street <laughs> names, who do they need to team up with to become cooler to get some millennial voters? Mm. I mean, Scott Morrison's got to be Creed. Um, <laughs> any of the old Christian rockers. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill Shorten, probably PewDiePie. Uh, wow. Yeah. That. Jesus Christ. Or Logan Paul, I think. Uh, wow, one, any it. of the, the worst YouTube stars of our generation. <laughs> I reckon um, uh, Bill Shorten should pair up with someone who is also into you know workers' rights, um, really into being fair. It'd be really great if you paired up with someone like a rock star like Tanya Plibersek. That would probably be uh, a really, you know, join 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 forces with a what real about, rock star um, like that. Uh, that guy from Midnight Oil. Was so <laughs> the man who every day, it seems, has a bad hair day. A rational fear. Ukrainian elections over the weekend, a TV comedian won. A guy by the name of Vladimir Zelensky took out the vote. It wasn't a surprise. He polled over 70% over the last few weeks. In the second season of the Ukrainian TV show Servant of the People, this comedian played a schoolteacher who ran for president, who then basically disrupted the whole political system, and he, he won in his TV show. And then he ran for president in the actual Ukraine and won. Uh, and I don't know if you know a um, friend of the show, Michael Hing, he is also running for the Australian Senate, uh, and I caught up with him earlier. Hello, Dan. Hello, Australia and the world, I guess. <laughs> now, you... I'm trying, I'm trying to work on my political greeting, Dan. <laughs> you don't sound to be actually very good at this at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm terrible at it. I just, about a week ago, I released a video saying I'd like to be an Australian senator, and uh, well, we're at 10 days, actually 10 days. We're 10 days into it now, and I'm it's real scary. Now tell me, you've actually done the paperwork, so you're actually going to be on the ballot. Is this correct? I have submitted the paperwork, and we are waiting to hear back from the Australian Electoral Commission. Let, let's be very clear. This is a joke that got out of hand. That is what's happened here. Uh -huh. I made a little video saying I'd like to be a senator, and I thought it was a funny joke, and then... 40 minutes later or something, the Prime Minister happened to call the election, which then meant that all journalists were looking for stories to cover, and this thing that was a joke suddenly became, like, reported in the news. It was in, like, Junkie and Pedestrian, which I think people might expect it to be, but then it got picked up by The Independent, by uh, the Australian Financial Review. Uh, I got, I, I mean, most importantly, it got written up in Lad Bible. Um, and... 
I was joking to a friend saying, wouldn't it be funny if I got on the project and like 40 minutes later I got an email from the project saying, hey, would you like to come on the project? <laughs> they invited me back the next week. Like it's, it's, it's all spiralling out of control and I, um, it's gotten away from me. To be honest, it's a joke that has gotten out of hand. <laughs> but people actually believe in you. You know, I, I know people who are actually extremely keen to see you succeed and become a senator that represents them in the Senate. There are people out there that are like, Michael Hing, he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. He, he you know, I feel affinity for him. He should be in the Senate. Well, you know what? It's not just people who acknowledge that I'm an idiot. It's also people who are fed... I mean, I'm going to sound like a politician now, but it's people who are fed up with the corruption and the lies and the distrust that has been spawned throughout the political system over the last... I mean, forever, but most predominantly over the last, like, 15 years, we've really seen it, right? Um, in, like, what, what has really been surprising to me is we, as a joke, put up a thing saying, like, hey, would you like to pick my slogan? And then people kind of, like, commented and stuff. And then we had over... I think, I think in the end, it was over 1,500... Um, submissions to what my slogan should be. Mm. And then we thought, wouldn't it be funny if we did that with policies as well? And again, the whole point of this is we thought it'd be funny. We thought it'd be a joke. And I'd said it as a throwaway line in the video, but then when we put it up online saying, hey, what should my policies be? I think we've had, at last count, they're still coming in, but we had like over 2,000 policy submissions. Right? Wow. And some people are saying things like, like free garlic bread and, you know, like no, like ban school and no homework and whatever, stuff like that. Yeah. But then we've had like, I'd say like two thirds of them have been like serious, earnest like slogan like oh, sorry policy suggestions from people who want action on climate change they want to see you know independent commission against corruption federally they want to see you know yeah. like there are like things that people genuinely want and they're taking the time to email me and, and tell me about and comment and stuff and that's like I mean, very surprising. Again, I can't stress enough, this is a joke that's gotten out of hand and I, I, I don't know what to do. I expected this video to be watched by like my friends and maybe my family and that'd be the end of it. Mm. But because it's kind of gotten out of hand, I'm now having to come up with serious answers to your questions, which I don't want to do, Dan. <laughs> I want to make fun of this whole thing. But I, I don't know if I told you this, but Glenn Drury, who's like, who's like a, a political operative who's famous for getting Ricky Muir elected with less than 1% of the vote, yep. who worked for Darren Hinch and got him elected to the Senate, mm. he got in contact with me and was like, hey, we need to have really? a conversation about preference deals and stuff. Wow. So I met with him on Monday. You actually met with a, well, you met with Glenn Drury, the preference whisperer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is... This, this is, is serious. Like, this is a joke that's gotten out of hand. You're and actually, I, you're I, actually extremely close to power, Michael Hing. There was a, there was a polling release today mm. that said that uh, half of Australians don't or aren't confident that the vote they've put in the ballot box for their Senate reflects their actual Intention. Like, preferences. Yep. Half the voting population of Australia don't understand how to vote in the Senate. There was a study that was re- released today, and they're just following how to vote cards. So if I could get on a bunch of how-to-vote cards in, like, preferential places. And, like, the thing is, I don't have any policies, so I can kind of, like, you know, I'm an unknown quantity. People might want to vote for that. People might want to preference me because they don't think see me as a threat. In New South Wales uh, politics recently, um, how-to-vote cards for a, a group like Keith Sydney Open was so was so strange. Their preferences went to normally pretty wild and out there other parties because of the, how the pre- preference system flows. They thought that would be the best way to kind of see their way into the upper house in New South Wales. Like stuff yeah. like um, stuff like the Sustainable Australia Party was like v- ranked number third on their list, and that is like a- the antithesis of what Keith Sydney Open values are. Yeah, a lot of people describe them as an anti-immigration party. Yeah, and that's such a strange that's just a strange thing to put on their how to vote. But because you have no policies, you're a blank canvas. You could mean anything to anyone except perhaps the One Nation Party. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, like, <laughs> I could. I mean, I'm not saying I would because that would be, like, these things aren't legally binding, Dan. 
So, like, I could go in there and promise everyone everything and not hold me accountable to it. Like, it doesn't, you know, the whole system is so corrupt. <laughs> oh, man, Michael Hing, I am looking forward to going to uh, the One Asian campaign launch. When is that going to be? Um, we're still working on that. I don't know. We have to talk to the Australian Election <laughs> Commission first. If people want to go to oneasianparty.com and check that out, um, that's our website, and that's where we're accepting all policy and slogan submissions. And if you want to see Michael Hing, he's going to be on stage at Giant Dwarf at Rational Fear Live on May 7, where he may or may not be accepted by the Australian Electoral Commission, which we'll find out this week. <laughs> what do you think you're going to do on stage, uh, on stage at Giant Dwarf, Michael, if, if you are on or aren't uh, accepted by the AEC? Have you thought? Have you thought about that? I imagine this will be where I uh, give people a taste of my stump speech. You're gonna have a stump speech as a politician. Maybe I can um, <laughs> blow the dust off that and uh, excellent make it a campaign rally, Dan. Excellent. If you want to go to the, the One Asian Campaign Rally, come along to Giant Dwarf uh, this 7th of May. Tickets giantdwarf.com.au. There is a special code for podcast listeners. Use the code podcast and get 15 buck tickets. Michael Hing, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you May 7. Thank you, Senator. <laughs> Future Senator, please. A Rational Fear. Last night on Radio National, Barnaby Joyce was on Patricia Carvelis's show, RN Drive. Patricia was talking to him all about the Watergate scandal, this $80 million deal where water was bought and sold by a company that was started by Angus Taylor uh, before he became a parliamentarian. And though Angus Taylor, the Liberal MP, uh, says he hasn't received any remuneration from it, this has turned into a gigantic scandal over the last week. And the story's been around for a little bit. Um, did any of you catch the interview with Barnaby Joyce uh, yesterday? Labor, 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 labor. <laughs> I've got a bit of it. I've got a bit of that right here. Here we go. Maybe the Queensland Labor government who recommended this to us, the Queensland Labor government, Labor, 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 Labor government. That was one. Are any of the these beneficiaries associates of anybody in the government? That we should buy this water. The Queensland Labor government, Labor, Labor, Labor government recommends this to us. The same federal Labor government that bought water off this crowd before. Okay. The, Queen, the I'm, federal I'm, Labor government, Labor, Labor, Labor. I've, Labor I think government. I've been quite respectful to you as you've repeated the same thing, but you haven't been respectful to my question, which is this. Okay. This is our end drive, and we are broadcasting across the Asia Pacific. Barnaby Joyce is our guest. The Labor Party were the first people to buy water off this vendor. The Labor Party, Labor, Labor, Labor Party were the first people to buy this office vendor. Okay, so recommended by the Queen. I know you keep Labor saying Labor, so I'm just going to try take Queen's you back to the question. The thing I love about this interview is that uh, Patricia Carvelis is doing quarter hour maintenance and <laughs> and resetting the interview over the top of a ranting Barnaby Joyce. She does that about three or four times throughout the interview, and I thought, what a Fucking radio professional. Just yeah. a legend. She should just throw to him like a song. And now, for the next three and a half minutes, it's the Barnaby Joyce Labor Spectacular. And you just know she'd be fading down Barnaby on the phone line and looking at her producer and shaking her head and the kind of the things that would be going through her head as he's doing that. It's. Uh, I think the tone of the interview was set from the very beginning. If you just listen to just how Barnaby Joyce is alone. Former Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce was the Minister for Agriculture and Water who signed off on the purchases and he joins us on Iron Drive. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you going, Patricia? <laughs> <laughs> he just, it's like he's just been pulling a bomb. Like, <laughs> oh, God's mum. <laughs> was he caught unaware? Surely he'd be preparing for that all day. <laughs> oh, 
man, you would think that the producer might have, you know, called him in advance and locked in the interview. You'd think he'd be enough of a professional to <laughs> just, you know, clear time. his throat before they go live. Uh, as a media trainer, Chris Urquhart, what's your thought on the way Barnaby Joyce handled this interview? Well, nothing surprised anymore, but you know what? He, he's always been a bit out there, but people have all taken a leaf out of the Trump book, right? Like, he threw out the rule book on how to handle interviews, on how to handle debates and all of those sorts of things, and where is he now? He's sitting in the White House. A lot of people like Barnaby Joyce are, are trying it on as the light version of it, going over the top and thinking they've only got to appeal to one constituency, not the listeners of, you know, inner city ABC in Sydney, but they've, he's got votes to win um, in rural electorates as well, and maybe that tough guy approach might kind of work. We all have a giggle. Maybe it might work. Come on, Chris. We're actually, we're actually recording at the FBI radio studios in Redfern. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And it brings me to my next point, Dan. <laughs> I'm glad that I've been given this pulpit today. To know. Do you know who the beneficiaries are now? Are there well, any associates? Who are they? Tell me who they are. I've got no, it's a, it's a, I've heard it's a trust account in the Cayman Isles. There you go. That's what the Queensland Labor government should have told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing better than that excuse. Like, they didn't tell me. It's like, mate, you're the minister. That's your job. You should know. <laughs> you should know who you're selling a car to. Do you think he's a little bit rattled after um, his ex-wife's revenge bod was revealed last week? <laughs> Could that be that finally he might have snapped after what happened there? Well, this is one of the tweets that I saw on Twitter was, doesn't he actually live with a media advisor? Couldn't she give us some tips on how to do this interview better? So I'm going to help you out because you're ducking and weaving. I'm going to try and help you out. No, I'm actually being quite clear. Did you or your office deal with him directly? You're You're not, Patricia, but I'm going to help you out. I never knew Angus Taylor. I wouldn't have known him if he stood up my cornflakes before he came into Parliament, right? <laughs> where are these analogies coming from? It stood up in your cornflakes. Isn't there another one where he also references a Mrs Smith and a vacuum cleaner? Have you got that one there? Patricia, you're saying it's like saying, do you believe that Mrs Smith, Mrs. Smith should vacuum her living room? No, it's not it like not saying that. It's business. a specific it question. Should they be released? I think Mrs Smith should steam clean her living room, <laughs> quite frankly. I think she should it... buy one of those Robovacs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Mrs Smith. I don't know where that came from. Oh, no, I'm baffled by this. This is the strangest thing I've heard. Look, I've got no idea who Mrs. Smith is, um, but there is one person who I do know who the person is. Let's have a listen. There is absolutely nothing untoward about the actions of Mr. Taylor. But if you want to go further with that, the best person you interview is Mr. Taylor, not me, because I'm Mr. Joyce. I know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) You said at the start of the pod that we were dealing with two Trumps, but you forgot the third. Of course, (laughs) Barnaby Joyce. A rational fear. Scientists, technicians and experts are now looking into the cause of the failure. Joining us now is Michael West, who broke the story, or one of the first people to break this story last week in conjunction with the project and his website, Michael West. What is your your website called? michaelwest.com.au. Oh, that's an easy plug. And people can go there and they can uh, give you money to continue your investigations. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> they're feeling like they want to support independent journalism and the public interest. That's what we we do. But I, I have to bail you up on, on one thing, Dan. It wasn't uh, entirely my story. I played one part. There's a few people investigating on Twitter. Anne Davies and The Guardian uh, did some good stuff on the water market. And I sort of helped out a bit... Uh, you know, shining the torch on the Caribbean deal, the tax haven, uh, the financial engineering part of it. Yeah, the EAA and the EIA or the EAI? 
EAI and EAA. The there's so there's so many E's there. There's more E's there than at a music festival in New South Wales. <laughs> Barnaby Joyce, he was on the radio last night with Patricia Carvelis. He was saying that uh, a lot of this isn't up to him. Uh, a lot of it was due to Queensland Labor and previous Labor governments. Now, what is the difference between the way? His department, under his leadership, managed these deals, and the previous departments. How, how do how do they how do those two uh, groups operate differently? Well, there's a, an irony here, and that is that Barnaby Joyce was anti-water buybacks in the first place. He felt that uh, you know it wasn't good for farmers to be you know to have to sell their water and this kind of thing, and uh, wasn't good for local communities. So he was against it. He saw it as a sort of a a lefty, greeny, labory sort of plan that, you know, was no good. Uh, and it used to be an open tender system under Labor, but then when he came in, he decided to sort of ease back on the competitive process, and he's done about three or four deals which have raised a bit of controversy in those circles uh, because they're closed tender. You just go along to, him, uh, to the department and say, can I do this deal? Can I sell you some water? And this is one of those deals. And by value of each litre of water, this is the most expensive deal ever done. And a lot of people who are water experts are saying the water wasn't worth anything because it was flood water. Do you know what the difference is between flood water and regular uh, river water? Well, flood water is, of course, water that you don't harvest out of the river that comes about as a flood and you capture it in a levee. And you, um, and then, of course, if you it eventually evaporates. That's one of the problems with it. So you've got to ask how much is it worth because when the sun shines on water, uh, the water evaporates and goes back up into the clouds, as I understand it from my high school science. So uh, so by that virtue, I could sell some clouds back to the government? Well, I think you probably, I think Barnaby Joyce would probably pay you for air. I don't think you'd have, <laughs> you wouldn't have to go and, I mean, this is a, an incredible deal where, you know, it's like going into the, the car yard and Barnaby coming out and saying, look, just take the thing for free, you know. It's a, it's just such a $80 million of taxpayers' money uh, gone on something which the directors of the company, even the vendors, the people selling to him said the year before was only worth 40 Then suddenly when the deal was going to happen that year, they bumped it up to 80 and he's coughed up 80 and he tried to tell the ABC the other night that he brought down the price from 5000 a gigalitre down to... 2700 the record price. He, he tried to say that he'd, he'd done a good deal. He bargained them down. I mean, there's not a lot of evidence for that. But in any case, it's the most expensive water deal ever. It's taxpayers' money. The profit from this deal, some 50 million we've identified so far, went back to the Cayman Islands, to a mysterious company in the Cayman Islands whose shareholders we don't know. So we don't know who made the profit on this water deal. Uh, right. How close are we to finding that out? Not too close at the moment because Barnaby has been pressed for the identities of um, the shareholders who he was apparently – he was dealing with this company directly, maybe not him. Of course, he, he previously suggested he had no dealings with this company. Well, no, email, there's an email trail out now. Um, the Guardian ran it today. They've done some FOIs uh, showing um, his name on documents – uh, saying, keep me apprised of the situation. So basically saying, look, you know, I want to keep you telling me what's going on with this deal. Uh, so he knew about it, despite his protestations that he didn't know about it. And then he sort of made out that he didn't really know who the shareholders were. And uh, then he said, well, actually, it's a 
it looks like a trust company in the in the Cayman in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> and so, you know, this it's not it's not very good. But he's refusing to say who it is now. If you sell, if you give eighty million dollars of taxpayers' money or buy back some water rights, you'd want to know who the counterparty in the deal was. I mean, this is part of this is just a normal process in a transaction. You want to know who you who you're buying from or who you're selling to. And you can't just have not anonymous people on the other side of the world in a tax haven not not know who they are. I mean, that's incredibly reckless. So either he doesn't know or he does know. And um, who are they? I don't think the story will be resolved until we find out who made the profit. Last night on RN Drive, Patricia asked him if he would be happy to face a Royal Commission. He said, of course I am. I won't give a toss. Should he actually give a toss, do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is the the question for me is let's just let's just have the transparency and disclosure, which should be around public transactions. They're acting on our behalf of the stu- as the stewards of our resources and stewards of our money. Uh, and so we need to know where it's going. I and mean, it's as simple as that. And the other point about it is that the scheme, the water scheme, this water buybacks program, is designed to help drought-stricken farmers and yep. the ecosystem, the environment. It's not designed for some hedge funds in the Cayman Islands to make money out of it. We know one of these entities, we only know it's got 9.6%. It's called the EF Realisation Fund. It's been wound up, but it was also a tax haven sort of thing running out of the UK and was listed on the London Stock Exchange. So in their official releases, they made the point that Australian authorities approached them. Directly. Directly. And uh, so this is another mystery. Why would Barnaby's department approach... The Cayman London Group, directly based in, based in the Cayman Islands. Well, that's right. Well, directly. the water rights are owned by the agriculture thing, by Eastern Australian Agriculture, which is based here, which is owned by the company in the Caymans. But you think you deal directly with the company yeah. here rather than the company in the Caymans. Now, Michael, I don't know if you heard any of Barnaby Joyce's hypotheticals last night when he was on, on air. He asked the question, do you think Mrs Smith should be vacuuming her living room? Uh, what do you think? Well, I guess if it's, if it's dirty, I mean, I wouldn't bother vacuuming if there wasn't a need to vacuum. Not being a huge vacuumer myself, but um, I do allow myself the luxury of a cleaner once every two weeks, which just manages to get the place done. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear and continue the good work. Good idea. Thanks, Dan. Irrational Fear. This is Irrational Fear. Things have also ended up a little bit dirty. We're coming off the back of Easter and Chris Urquhart, you've got a delightful Easter story to warm the cockles of our... I love this because it's very rare these days on Twitter to find something that warms the heart. If anything, it turns it stone cold. But this was beautiful. We just come past the Easter weekend, right? This is a dad uh, from Canberra. He's an anaesthetist by trade, but he came across this letter that his kids had written to the Easter Bunny, right? On Saturday, give me a second because you'll love this. Okay. They've just adopted a greyhound. He finds a letter that the kids have written to the Easter Bilby. To the Easter Bilby. Just so you know, you need to put the eggs into these buckets with our names on them because we have a dog who will probably kill you, which we'll be sad about because we'd know that Easter is ruined all because of us. Also, after our dog kills you, it will eat the chocolate and then die. So worst case scenario, really. 
So thanks also for being generous to others. My sister loves you and I love bilbies. So remember, put the chocolate in the buckets. Thanks again and bye. <laughs> from yes. the right sisters. And I'm reliably informed that the bilby arrived. It wasn't eaten by the dog and they had their chocolate. Happy Easter. Thank you, Chris Urquhart, for joining us here on Irrational Fear. Thank you for bringing that beautiful note. Alison Petrowski, thank you. When can people see you back on A Current Affair? Five weeks' time, not that I'm counting. <laughs> and Lewis Hover, always a pleasure, of course. Thanks, Dan. You'll be here next week on stage. Oh, yeah. At Giant Dwarf. Absolutely. On Tuesday, Tuesday the 7th <laughs> of May. And there is a special code for podcast listeners to get cheap tickets, 15 buck tickets to come see the show. Uh, we've got a great lineup. Uh, Michael Hing from Australia's One Nation Party, who we heard from before, he's going to be... Well, I've asked him to make it his unofficial campaign launch. <laughs> uh, Alice Fraser, fresh from the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and you may have heard her on um, The Bugle, uh, the probably the best satirical comedy podcast in the world. Also, uh, Walkley Award winner Jane Carrow, would, would somehow decided to join us as well. She's going to be up on stage. I don't know what, exactly what she's going to be talking about, but I can't wait to hear that. So that's all next week, next Tuesday, at Giant Dwarf, 7.30. Get there. Tickets through giantdwarf.com.au. Thank buck tickets. Until next week, always something to be scared of. Goodbye.